Hey guys, welcome to another developer interview here at PSVR Without Parole. Uh, with me today is uh, the man, the myth, the legend. It's Ryan Payton from Camouflage. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah, just uh, really happy to be able to work. Talk to you again. Um, it's been it's been a while. Feels like right. I mean. A year, year and a half has gone by since we shipped Marvel's Iron Man VR, uh, and it feels like it's really flown by. I, I know how the reception was over on our end because, I mean, the gamers, the, the without parole viewers, voted it for Game of the Year 2020. Uh, so, so we know how it was on our end. How was the reception over there on your end? Yeah, our, we were thrilled uh, with with uh, yeah, earning uh, you and and your team and your community's Game of the Year. Uh, we also receive a lot of other accolades, which we've been um, not not shameful about putting it plastering all over our website and showing like all the all the awards that the team got, uh, because it was uh, it is really important for us to to get that 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 jolt of um, excitement and uh, admiration for the title that we worked so hard on. And at, at launch, you know, the the game was received with some really really stellar reviews and some reviews that weren't as weren't as positive. Yeah, and those are always hard to see, right? Especially when you put so much of your your life into these into these products, right? And the team worked so hard, and we worked really close with our partners at Sony and Marvel. And so, uh, but you know, we took the good with the bad and moved forward. We made some great updates to the game, uh, and really, we're really proud of the game. But then, to end twenty twenty, you know, what was it, three or four months after the fact, with like all these awards and getting nominated for uh, best VR game at the Game Awards, and be standing alongside other fantastic titles. Um, was like like Walking Dead, Saints and Sinners came out that year. It was, that was great. Half Life, Alex, obviously, uh, Star Wars Squadron, um, some other really great titles. So uh, we ended 2020 like I think with a bang, and we were so proud of um, what we were able to create. And uh, and yeah, we're just uh, now we're just heads down, just trying to figure out what we're doing next. Yeah, well, I think uh, I, I think the world is curious, or at least or at least my little corner of the world is very curious to know what you guys are working on next. Uh, you know, I, I obviously want to talk about Republic, man, because that's 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 the reason for this interview. That's what we're here to talk about. But uh, maybe, maybe we maybe we come back to that in just a second. Like, sure, you guys just opened a new studio in Japan. Yeah, we we expanded up here in Japan last summer. Uh, we've been holding off on that announcement. Uh, we also are really excited to be able to bring some um, additional talent to the studio. Uh, we've now grown to about eighty full time um, folks. So like. Camouflage continues to grow and, and, and strengthen um, after the release of Marvel's Iron Man VR. We brought on board um, like two really amazing guys here in Japan. Uh, Matt Walker, who was a producer on Devil May Cry 5, um, was at Capcom for many, many years. And then Alex O. Smith, who's like a legend in the, in, the, in the localization and writing industry, especially for games going all the way back to like Vagrant Story is like I think the one that he wow. really uh, set the world afl- uh, ablaze about. Like just it kind of changed people's perspective of of how writing could be for like a non-English title, right? And what he did with that, uh, with his colleagues, he did Final Fantasy VIII, um, Parasite Eve two, and then just like Ace Attorney series, and so many titles he can't remember now. He's like, he's like, that's that's the point he is where he is in his career. But he was most recently at Moon Studios and working on um, on Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and joined Camouflage last year. We're thrilled to have him on the writing team on our, on our new project, and um, yeah, so just. You know, we just feel so lucky that uh, we hit our 10-year anniversary as Camouflage, as an independent studio. Um, you know, we continue to grow. We continue to strengthen, get smarter about how we're building games. And, um, and yeah, when we're doing more of a, a global expansion, um, which is really in response to the COVID pandemic, in a, in a way, is that uh, 
COVID with all the bad things that it has brought, it's also brought some interesting good things to some people in terms of opening their eyes up to the to the strengths of remote work, myself included, and us realizing that, yes, we can actually uh, decentralize and not have everybody working out of our Seattle office. We can have people move to you know, their hometown, you know, in Michigan, in Arkansas, in Arizona, it doesn't matter, uh, in Montreal, or they can move uh, or we can hire people around the world and we're all working remote anyway. And so that was a big part, a big impetus for why we opened the Japan studio is so we can fully embrace like, uh, and, and utilize the talent that, that there was all over the world and not just be fully, uh, focused on just like the Seattle area, which we were do, we were doing up until that point. So just to clarify, uh, this camouflage holdings, which is the Japan location. Uh, will you be working on the same projects as Camouflage proper, or will they be two studios working on separate projects? Yeah, well, funny enough, we started off with the idea that the Japan studio, which yeah, we call Camouflage Holdings, uh, was going to be focused on starting up different projects, like a smaller one, and we kind of grow that team. But over time, uh, I think it made more sense for us to uh, just just kind of fully embrace like a global development style uh, for our main project or projects within the studio. And so, yeah, it's again, it's, it's all along long lines of like leveraging uh, the international talent that's out there. And also the fact that going back all the way to my work on Metal Gear Solid 4, for example, Brian, back in 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, it always bothered me that the, when you, when you centralize your dev team into like one area that, uh, you are typically only working for between eight to 12 hours a day on the game, but you're only given a number of years to work on the game. And so, you know, throw weekends out there for a second. You're only working about on the game for about half the time that you could be. Um, and that, and those, those goalposts typically don't move when you got to ship the game. Right. So one of the things that's always bothered me is, is like, how can we better utilize like different time zones around the world so we can be working on the game in 24 hour cycles and, and in theory, get double the amount of time working on the game um, and be able to re- react to feedback more quickly. So, for example, uh, I when I wake up, the Seattle team is kind of winding down. And so myself, Matt Walker, Alex O'Smith, uh, we're getting the build. Um, and we're playing in headset here in this nice open space that we've got. And we play the game. We, we, uh, we, we provide feedback. We, sh- we kick it over to the team. Um, you know, and, and, and we have some people in London now. And then, and then New York wakes up. And then back to Seattle. And then they can respond to the feedback. So we get in this really nice cycle. Uh, that we didn't, we weren't afforded uh, previously. I, I really, I mean, as as great as that excuse is, I, I think it's just think. I think you just wanted to move to Japan, and this is the way you made it happen. <laughs> well, what ended up happening? The truth of the matter is, Brian, is that I wasn't intending to do it, um, but I, I I took a vacation here um, about a year and a half ago, and I was working remote. Yeah. And I and I it, it occurred to me that this could work because um, I was doing that. I was just like, okay, in my days, it was the nights in Seattle and I was giving feedback and stuff like that. I was like, wait a second, this actually might be a good thing. So yeah, definitely like fully embrace that uh, kind of accidental discovery that I had. Granted, Ubisoft has figured this thing out like 10, 15 years ago. So it's not like I'm the first person to come up with this idea of following the sun kind of development cycle and development uh, approach. But it's also, yeah, like as you pointed out too, like a really great excuse to, to, to move back here. Before you and I sat down to talk, I, I watched a, uh, a mini documentary about the making of Republic, and 
I mean, it's it's sort of it's sort of like the game itself. It it, it takes you on a journey, and it's 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 heart wrenching and, and and exciting and exhilarating, and like you're rooting for you know the good guys and and really hoping that it's all going to come well, together you. for you. Even though here I am in the future, knowing exactly how it ends, um, I was still like, oh, you guys can do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I mean, just for anyone who hasn't seen the documentary, and for uh, is this, is this the documentary that's going to be included with the limited edition limited run games uh, box? It's a Chap- correct there's a chapter of the longer document we've created for the limited edition which is through limited run um, but there's yeah this 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 republic focused uh documentary which 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 you've been disclosed on uh which is going to go live uh when when republic vr hits uh, on march 10th on playstation vr switch and playstation 4 so uh it's going to go live i think um it's going to be exclusive to, to ign for a spell uh, so people can just jump over there and, and check it out like it, i think like you mentioned it's about a half an hour long and it goes through just the the roller coaster ride, which was my life, yeah. which was the team's life, and I think a, a pretty honest look at how hard it is to start a studio and to try to make a video game when you have no idea what you're doing. And you and you knew what you were doing because you'd had experience on on, on other huge games before. You'd worked at a couple AAA studios, and and so you knew how to make games. Uh, but but running a studio is a little bit different, right? Well. I thought I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and I think people around me thought I knew what I was doing. Because, yeah, I could say, and I would do this too. I would say, oh, from the producer from Metal Gear Solid 4 and the right. former creative director from Halo. I mean, on the box, like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Um, but I w- what I realized over time was that me being so high level on those titles really was, was great for my career. I was 27 years old when I became creative director, creative director on Halo 4. Wow. That's um, impressive. And I, it was only my fourth, fifth year into true game development, right? Uh, and I had never gone through the experience of, okay, you're a junior designer, you're a junior producer, you're a junior artist, sit down, junior engineer, sit down, this is how you make a video game, you're going to work on the small part, and then you're going to grow into this thing, and you're going to grow into this thing, you're going to grow into this. I started with faking it till you make it, and giving direction on a PlayStation Portable game called Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops. And that's how I got my big break, is uh, I think the team and, and Hideo Kojima and, and others like noticed that I had a, a knack for direction. Um, so I was good at that side. But then, so, you know, I, I get more or less pushed out of Microsoft um, uh, for, for reasons I think are totally legitimate now that I look back at it. I was, I was upset at the time, uh, and, and my, my ego was bruised. And so I, I, I left, started my own studio, liquidated all my Microsoft stock at $25 a share, which looking back now was maybe not the best uh, uh, use of that, of that stock. Um, but uh, yeah, we liquidated all my assets, my life savings, my 401k at a 50% tax penalty, started camouflage. And with a chip on my shoulder, thinking I knew what I was doing. And what, what I realized over the next two, three years, especially as we try to work towards bringing episode one to market, is that I had no idea how to build the foundation, how to do like the actual real work that goes into making a video game. And so I'm learning on the fly while I'm also working with a lot of junior folks who are, this is their first game job out of school. Some guys first game job and hadn't even gone to school for it. So you've got, you've got the blind leading the blind basically. And it was just by f- pure like force of will and leaning on some of our more talented and experienced staff members that we were bringing, able to bring over time to do that all on a very nascent platform in which we didn't know, like nobody knew how to do a, a premium, high quality stealth action game that you can play with one finger on, a, on, a, on an iPhone. 
we were, it was just different. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you and your audience something I've never told anybody. Um, I had a phone call with Ken Levine um, about six months before, nine months before episode one shipped for Republic. And he and I would, would exchange emails and do phone calls over the years. And, and when I told him what I was up to, he was like, Ryan, you're, you're doing hard on top of hard on top of hard on top of hard. You got to like, man, like you got to balance out what you're doing. You can't just take risk, 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 risk. You got to balance risk out with like safety stuff too. That's a good leader. That's like a good business leader. And uh, I totally ignored his feedback and we just did hard on top of hard and we, and we survived somehow and we're really lucky and fortunate that um, Republic turned out as well as it did. Um, yeah, you, you touched a little bit on the fact that this, this game has gone through multiple platforms and, and starting on iOS. So, so it's a touchscreen, it's phones, it's tablets, that kind of thing, right? Um, so how, how faithful do you think the PSVR version is to that original vision? Hmm. Well, we didn't initially think that the Republic was going to go to every single platform under the sun. Uh, my, my colleagues love to joke with me that uh, if I could put the game onto a refrigerator or um, one of those little like touch panels you have at like restaurants like Red Robin and Olive Garden, um, they have like Bejeweled and stuff like on there, I would put it on there. In fact, I did reach out to that company to ask them if we could work with them to bring Republic to a Chili's near you. Um, turns out they weren't very interested, uh, which is a huge bummer. And I lost a bet with my team about that. In fact, like I should, I should, I should answer your question. But I'm going to still just have fun with this. Um, as like a, as part of like the most impressive troll that my team has ever performed on me. One morning I woke up, went to the office, email comes in and it's from the Zeosk platform. The, t the company behind those tablets at these like, these re these like chain restaurants. Yeah. And it's like, Ryan, we're so sorry for not getting back to you. We're so excited about bringing Republic to like a Chili's near you and Red Robin. We think like, can we like get Red Robin into the game as like a playable character? I'm like, this is amazing. This is like, guys, I won the bet. You guys, I told you that these guys would be interested. And then like, they're just laughing. And I look in the emails from like Zeosk at gmail.com or something. <laughs> it's like a total, a total troll. So yes, I'm, I'm totally willing to put our game on any kind of platform, but I didn't expect it to work as well as it did on VR. And, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background on how we got there is that, as you mentioned, our game started off as an iOS game and it went to PC on steam. Then it went to PlayStation four. And then we, were, we thought it was kind of finished. We, we released all five episodes. We're moving on to our next title, which uh, we're starting to talk a little more publicly about, but we were working on a Battle Royale game, a multiplayer title uh, with a subsidiary of Square Enix that never saw the light of day, obviously. And, um, and that was a big bummer because we were working on that before Battle Royale even took off. It was uh, arguably too early. Um, but anyway, we were working on that title. And then we get a phone call from Oculus. And Jason Rubin and his team... Um, we're looking for titles to bring to their VR platforms. And they said, and they're looking to, for existing titles that would translate well into VR. And they said that Republic was on a short list that they came up with amongst their team. And we, we were obviously really honored and flattered that they would even think about that. So they reached out to us. They helped us bring the game to uh, initially to the, to the Gear VR platform and to the Oculus Go platform. And as we we're working on the game, I think... It was. They were right. The game fits really, really nicely for VR. The vision of like being inside the surveillance camera, that you're directing a third-person character with that sense of presence that VR affords, but also allowing players to be in a static position um, and then just teleport and warp in a way that's like cont contextual to the fiction of the world that we built. 
worked so well that I think as we're going through development, a lot of the guys on the team, myself included, started thinking, I think VR is like the definitive way to play this game. Now, not everybody believes that. Like some people prefer the Switch version. Some people prefer the PlayStation 4 version. Some people prefer the touch-focused version on mobile or the PC mouse and, mouse and keyboard version. But personally, it's for me, it's the, it's the VR experience. Uh, and it, I'm just so thrilled with how it translated and it's, it's worked. It's translated really nicely to PlayStation VR. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think we've had conversations before, and I've been quoted on Gamescast because uh, I have no filter, uh, basically saying that I just really didn't like the flat screen version. Um, and I might have used some choice words to describe how much I didn't yeah, like it. I, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> so you know, one of the things that I love and hate about. Uh, without parole is that i have to play everything you know otherwise if you're a gamer and you're playing vr games you choose the ones that you want to play and if it's not in a genre that you're not interested in you skip it you may not even like consider it and i'm really really thankful that i finally get to experience republic and possibly in its definitive form um i I think i i think as as soon as you sent the key over uh, i jumped in and tried and played a little bit and i was amazed i was like there's something very personal about playing this game is, which is crazy because it's a game about not having, uh, you know, any, any personal space about, about your whole life being, um, you know, in front of cameras and, 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 you know, your personal information being sold and this and that. Um, meanwhile, I'm like, I'm feeling like a, a personal connection with the characters because, because of VR, um, feeling connection with hope and, uh, and a responsibility to take care of her that I never felt when I tried the PlayStation four version. Um, and, mm. and, and I was surprised and, and it was that feeling that grabbed me right away that kept me, that kept pushing me throughout the course of the rest of the game. As of this interview, I still have to get through the final chapter. So I don't know how the story ends, but I'm loving the story so far. And, uh, and I'm so, so happy Thank that you. I finally had a way to, to convince me to play it. And it happened to be VR was the way. I'm not surprised to hear you say this about the VR version. It's something that we see quite a bit is that for those of who were looking for something a little bit more immersive than the, the, the flat screen version of the game, a VR seems to, to, to provide that extra level of immersion or like just involvement that some players are looking for. And what I mean by that is this, is that Republic started off as a, as a game for, for, an, for iPhone 4s, right? Uh, and you could play it with one touch, with one, one finger, and we wanted to do an immersive uh, stealth action game with a heavy story component in a world in which publishers and venture capital funds were all telling us that nobody wants to play story-driven content on their phone. They don't want to experience stories on their phone. Netflix wasn't really much of a thing at that point. Everybody was just saying, I just want to play a, a few rounds of like a puzzle game on the bus, and that's what I want to use my mobile device for. Right. And me and the team were just thinking, no, that's not like mobile devices are going to be much bigger. And there's, there's lots of different um, opportunities for this. And we want to do something different, but we had to make sure that the game was accessible uh, on, on mobile in particular, because you don't have 17 buttons to work. Right. So we, that was the baseline for this game that we developed. So as we brought it to more, if you will, hardcore platforms like PC and steam and PlayStation four, I think that the story and the complexity of the story uh, was was appropriate and uh, and the and the audience was looking for that hungry for it and really loved it. But the gameplay was fairly simple uh, for them compared to other games they're playing on PC and console. And that's where VR comes in. I think VR helps make the game's input and like just the, again it increases the immersion factor of it and kind of like I think bolsters the moment to moment in a way that uh, I think we were tr- we we're struggling to find ways of doing that on the flat screen version. That's not to say that the flat screen 
platform screen versions aren't great. I and mean, we have a lot of team members and fans that just love that as well. But uh, for me, it's being able to use my head as a surveillance camera and warp around the world and control her and, and do things that, uh, yeah, to, on, to a degree that I'm just not able to do on, on flat screen. I did experience a few oddities while I was playing a few, you know, uh, I, I think controlling uh, Hope with an analog stick is like, for the most part, pretty good, but there's, there's some, there's some weirdness to it. Like how, how, how much did you have to stop yourself from just going in and being like reinventing the wheel when you're like, we're going to put this on PlayStation VR and God, there's, I, this is, this is the 10th anniversary of Republic, right? So like over the course of these 10 years, you must've been like constantly thinking about things that you wanted to change. Was it hard not to go back in and just start built, reworking it from the ground up? Yeah. So the, the playing the game on PlayStation VR, uh, with the controller, with the DualShock, uh, was something I, I looked forward to because it just brings back all these memories for me. And even though we're working with our, our, our new development partners on this title, which is SkyMap, um, they did a great job with, with bringing the game to PlayStation VR. And so they were looking for feedback from me, so I put PlayStation VR headset, go back into the world, and I would identify bugs, because there's bugs when you're working on games, obviously, but I would also just sit there and think, do we spend the time to redo this thing, or do we change this thing? Because it's hard. It's hard not to 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 to, to, to feed into that that urge. Because yeah, we're 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 older and we're wiser developers now. And I would I would I Brian I let myself think for probably too much time about what I would what I could do or what the team could do if we just like remade Republic right uh, with the strengths and the technology that we have right now. We don't have the, the, the capacity to do that right now. I don't think it would be the right decision. So we're with, with the game, we try to keep it um, faithful as, as, as best as we could to the original yeah. uh, to celebrate uh, the 10th anniversary of Camouflage. It's actually technically, I know it's confusing. We call it Republic Anniversary Edition because it might seem like it's a 10-year anniversary of Republic. Um, but uh, it's really just the, celebrating the, the 10th anniversary of, of Camouflage. Uh, and, but we're coming up right on the 10th anniversary of our Kickstarter of Republic, which is what a lot of people know us for and really put us on the map, right? Yeah. If we're able to talk about this, there's a hundred pieces of optional developer commentary strewn throughout the course of Republic. Yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've talked about it publicly, but I figure by the time this is going live, uh, we can. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 nothing super, super secret. It's just that we have a, a really fun feature in the game um, that you can turn on the options menu, and this is development commentary. And you talk about voyeurism. <laughs> This stuff is awesome. I have to say, like we, so over the course of development of that game for four years, anytime I felt like there was an interesting conversation that me as a player would be interested in hearing a developer talk about or argue about, um, I would just turn on the, the, I would let the team know. I said, okay, I'm recording this. And I just hit the record button on my phone, put it in the middle of like the conference table and we would just go. And then, uh, and then uh, one of our, one of our external colleagues, um, he, had the unfortunate job of listening to all of these clips and having to shave out like little, little snippets of stuff that was really interesting to him as a non-developer. So we went through hundreds of hours of stuff, of content. And then we picked out those hundred, like about a hundred of those or so. And we sprinkled them throughout the game for players to scan and they can hear like real conversations that we're having from the team about these moments that you just experienced. And so it's different than your kind of more retrospective um, uh, kind of commentary you would get like in a DVD or something like that from a director or something like that. These are conversations and debates we're talking about like, no, it should not be here. This is stupid. Or that's like, that's, that's confusing for the player. 
you know, this <laughs> is lots of interesting kind of drama that's that takes place. Obviously, all approved by the team before it went out there, but it it was I, it was very much in line with the theme of like the kind of the voyeuristic nature of Republic. And sorry, on top of that, with the tenth anniversary or of the camouflage celebration edition that we have here, we have some we sprinkled in some new additional commentary where we do do the retrospectives, where we say, okay, now now that it's been so many years since we shipped these games. Like we're now that we're older and a little bit wiser, we're looking back at some of our fondest memories and sharing those as well as part of a special thing that's never been done up until now in the, in the game. That's pretty impressive, man, that you had the foresight to uh, to say, hey, p- people are going to want to hear these conversations at some point in the future. Um, and I, so I, I wanted to experience everything uh, on my first playthrough, and I ended up turning them off. I, I I played I played the first 20, 30 minutes of the game, ex- experienced what the developer commentary was all about, and then kept thinking, I re- I'm, I'm really interested in this, and I and I want to find every single one. The game's a collectathon. I mean, the game it, it's it, you'd probably consider it a stealth game more than anything else, but I'm personally saying stealth takes sec- plays second fiddle to the <laughs> massive collectathon that is Republic. Yep. Constantly, like I mean, you're scanning everything. You're 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 learning about each of the guards that you're passing by it's literally just items everywhere and i mean and i love collectathon so i was having a blast with it but then on top of it to be like okay <laughs> then there's that stuff too the developer right. commentary well because because the i think the best and worst thing about your game i'm just going to be honest right here right the best and worst yeah, thing about your game is that there's so much lore to take in and there's so much mm. there's so much dialogue and so i there's part of me that wants to snuggle up with this game with a vita in bed and and just kind of and take it all in and, and every time hope starts talking just just stop and let her talk or anytime an audio recording starts playing just stop and let them talk and, and take it all in but the gamer in me in vr goes all right let's move this shit along man because like I, sure, sure, there's, sure. There's, there's seven items in this room and i just got to scan this and scan that and scan that and scan that and if i have stopped and listened to the entire audio log for each one of those, my, you know, my, my two hour per chapter playtime is now going to be four hours per chapter playtime. Mm. Add de- developer commentary onto that is like, yep. okay, man, I'm never, I'm never finishing this game. So I, so I decided at one point I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to play through the game, get the basic gist of it, get most of the story, turn off developer commentary. And then I'm going to play through it again, man, because like, I'm, cause especially once I get to the halfway point and the story started really picking up for me, uh, I th- and I think people will be divided. I think people halfway through people will say, what the hell are they doing? Or this is great. I can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, I'm, I fell into the camp of this is great. I can't wait to see what happens next. And so now I'm like super excited to go back and play it from the beginning again and just like, and see and really pay attention to some of those things I sort of skipped by. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I, so I don't totally, I don't, I don't, I don't know. To- how totally done legitimate feedback. <laughs> no. Well, probably write less writing. <laughs> um, less verbose uh, scenes. It's something I felt going through the game with a lot more of an objective look at it over the years. Because yeah. when you're in it, you're in the thick of it, it's so hard to be objective. Um, and everything is your baby. And you care. And anything that people say where, like, oh yeah, this scene is too long. Like, But you understand what's going on in this important moment. Like, or like, we worked really hard on this, right? right? But as time goes on, you can kind of separate yourself from I'm sure it's like how you, when you're looking at your channel and you're looking at content you created years ago and you're like, yeah, I was pretty proud of that at the time, but like, I, I would change this, that once you're, I would delete half right? of it, be honest with you. <laughs> or delete half of it. So, yeah. so we, you know, we did do a little bit of trimming here and there for, for Republic and Republic VR, 
Um, but for the most part, yeah, it's, it's pretty authentic to what we created at the time. And I think that's that's totally li- li- like valid uh, critique of the game. I think it's not one of those games where you're like, okay, I've got like 30 minutes to play. I'm just going to jump into the world of, of Republic uh, on PlayStation VR, and and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna go do something else really quickly. Which makes me I think wonder. It's one of those how? Why did you think this was going to work at Chili's? I'm so confused. This is not the kind of thing you play in short little 10 minute bursts. Why? You're totally right. What? It would be <laughs> most most players. I mean, it's, I would only really do it, Brian, because for a joke, and I'll go pretty far for a joke. Um, but I, I mean, if only so I could see like a test scene yeah. of like a family, um, you know, where I, you know, I work with the Ziosk platform um, executives, and we go to like see like on a test viewing of a family about Republic. They're going to last for like three minutes because <laughs> um, the game isn't like instant gratification. Like the opening itself is like ten minutes long, right? right? Uh, and I would just be laughing the entire time. Um, so, uh, but to, but to, to, to yeah, respond to your, your, I think very, very valid critique. I think it's a game that you, you set some time aside, you're ready to kind of take in like a, a, a pretty deep and narrative experience. Um, and, and I also think that your approach to the developer commentaries is like how I would go about it as well. And if you don't mind, I'll just tell you a little bit about, um, the design, the, the interesting design challenge that we had about the development commentary. Yeah, please. It's because what we found was that we had developer commentary previously in some previous versions. It wasn't all the development commentary that we have exclusive to this version. But when we had it before, it was by, by default turned off because people were getting overwhelmed. Mm. Um, but what we found was it was really hard to just remind the, the player that that exists because it was kind of, it's just in the options menu. Not everybody goes looks in the options menu. So what we opted to do for this title is that we have it on by default to like make it very clear to the player that this feature is there. And then my hope is actually that they do either play through it with it on, maybe if they've already played the game on another platform and now they're getting a new perspective on the game in VR and they get to kind of enjoy the world and see the art in a perspective they've never seen before and get the narrative or the d- developer stories and that's great. Or for first time players like yourself, Turn the darn stuff off because you got enough. You got enough to worry about. And then, yeah, when you go through a second playthrough, at least you know it's there if you want to try to experience it that way. And I mean, you you price this game amazingly well. It's it's a fifteen dollar game, and you play through it once. It's going to be at least ten hours, uh, especially if you stop and smell the roses and listen to all the uh, all the audio, if not if not longer. I'm, I'm assuming I'm assuming if you really take your time, each each episode could definitely take upwards of like two and a half hours um i, I think i was doing pretty good at two hours a piece um but again that's was, about right there was a little bit of skipping going on there uh yep i was editing the game for yep. you on the way <clears throat> ryan i feel like i'm keeping you uh, long past our scheduled allotted time here um but i do have a few questions from some of the cats out there if you have a few minutes oh to... please let's do it let's do it all right um josh 76 over on discord asks what elements or lessons have you learned or incorporated uh from Iron Man VR. Uh, now he, he, he asked this in reference to Republic, but let's, let's change it around a little bit and say what lessons or elements from, uh, that you learned from Iron Man VR, uh, do you think that you'll implement in future games? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think, I think that our, our experience shipping Iron Man VR before shipping Republic VR on PlayStation VR, uh, was, is still relevant to a degree. I mean, we, we just got so familiar with the platform. And so uh, just in terms of like how elements are being presented into the game, ensuring that we try to reduce aliasing, for example, is like a, is a simple example. But uh, I think, yeah, we, we just became like, I think just wiser and smarter about how we built things. And again, we worked with, with, with great partners to help us realize that as well. Um, 
but to answer your question, Brian, uh, we it seems like with every game we work on, it's just a crash course on something wild and crazy that people haven't done before. And truly, Republic was that way. It really was that way, especially when it first launched. So many new things that we were just... We didn't have a roadmap. We couldn't look at other things. We just had to discover it on our own and work through all of that, all of those those things to, 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 to come to a solution. And that's really um, where a lot of innovation comes from. But it's also where a lot of like pain and suffering comes from as well. And that's... That's in a nutshell is a lot of what we had to go through for Iron Man VR as well. There wasn't another superhero high flying action combat game uh, on, on in VR that we could really look to right. to to help us answer a lot of questions that we were faced with. And so we spent a lot of development time just discovering. And I'm really proud of what we were able to come up with, but that was really hard. And so uh, I think as yeah, without getting too much into like what we're working on right now, uh, we. I think just in general, we are less surprised by new challenges that we face in VR. We're trying to do new things. I think we take a pretty stoic approach to things, and we're patient about them. And we obviously are leveraging the experience that we had. Um, but rather, it's it's kind of like, I don't know, just imagining like what a, like, I don't like, <laughs> such a weird like way to put it, but like, you know, when you see like Old Snake and Metal Gear Solid 4, it's like he's kind of seen it all, but like terrible things are happening in front of him, like really difficult things are happening, but he's like, yeah, I've got this, you know? And I kind of feel like our team is becoming more like that, you know? And we have more confidence and like we've, we've seen a lot of stuff <laughs> and we're not intimidated by now. And we just barrel in and we go do the work and we find solutions faster, I think, than we were to do. Um, previous, I should say. That chicken asks uh, if you have another if you have plans for another large licensed VR game, uh, and if you and if you can't answer that, uh, maybe you can tell us the difference between working on your original something with an original IP that you have full creative control over versus uh, working on a licensed property of somebody else's. Sure. Yeah. Like I said early on in the in our discussion, I had a chip on my shoulder. Shoulder. I was. I was embarrassed um, about being demoted and eventually pushed out on Halo. And it was really important to me at the time that we were fully independent and we're just doing whatever we wanted to do. And I took full advantage of that, and I think the team did as well. I'm really proud of what we built. Um, and that was part of the DNA of the company for the first four or five years. And so when the opportunity arose of us potentially working on an Iron Man game, we're talking about working with biggest entertainment companies in the world with Marvel, you know, part of Disney. And I remember being a little nervous about that. And out of the gate, uh, I wasn't the easiest guy to work with. And I don't think we were the best partner to work with because I think we still had that like fiercely independent spirit um, in which we would push back on things that maybe most teams wouldn't push back on, but because we're just so um, adamant about it being like our game and our story and what we wanted. But over time, I think I was... I realized that we're better when we're pushed. We're better when we work with other partners and who are challenging us. And I had some boneheaded ideas out of the gate for Iron Man VR that I, I, I thank God that, that, that Marvel pushed back on and, and, and helped us fi find a better solution for. And so for me, as I think I've, I've gotten older and I think as a team gotten older, I think that we followed a path that a lot of people um, follow as they develop in their careers, as they develop as adults, is that you you basically you first start off as your your independent, or so you first off very very dependent as a child. 
because you become an, you become a teenager and now you're independent. But and but a lot of people kind of stick in that mode, and that's kind of what we were with camouflage. We were like we're independent, and we're independent, right? Um, but I think the next step in evolution and mat- maturation for a lot of people is interdependency. That's where people sometimes decide to get married or they take on uh, more partnerships. So they try to become more inclusive and they realize that it might be easier. It might feel like it's easier to do something on your own. You can do something even better when you collaborate really well with other people. And so that, that's why, um, whether it's like what we're working on now or in the future, uh, working on a, an established IP or with like a, a larger partner again is, is not a daunting thing. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it's not, I don't, I'm not discouraged by it. In fact, I'm, I'm not always, ex- I'm now I'm excited about those opportunities while also sometimes wanting to have our own little thing too, um, to just kind of noodle on on the side and not have to worry about, you know, anything. It's, it's, it's always good to have your own little side projects too, right? Well, hopefully growing the studio will allow you to do a little of column A and a little of column V. That would be fun. Uh, and, uh, and finally, uh, I think this is really sweet. Twitcher, the EFG boopcat said, uh, ask Ryan to give Coco a pat on the head from him. He must have seen our last oh, interview. Man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really nice of Twitcher. Um, man, it's, uh, I, I really like tear up just like just thinking about that. Uh, yeah, I just love like how much you and your audience, like, you know, you know, love those little, like, you know, furry creatures. Uh, we, I, w- I won't bore you and your, your audience with like the, the crazy story of bringing Coco. So I, for those who don't know, I, we had two cats, uh, two black cats, domestic short hairs, uh, mother and daughter or the daughter passed away. Her name is Coco when she was about uh, 10, 10 years old, um, long year long battle with cancer, really tough. Um, and, uh, but we still have her, her mom Mocha and we're really thrilled, thrilled to have her. She's 14 years old right now. The crazy story though, is bringing her to Japan and all the paperwork required, uh, to do that and getting her on the flight, going through security, going through SFO, holding her because you can't put her into like the bag um, through go to go through the, the X-ray scanner because yeah. like you know she might have a bomb in her or whatever. <laughs> um, so like holding her in this crowded airport with like no leash on and like worried about her like oh scratching God. me and just like escaping, crazy experience uh, going across like a twelve-hour flight and everything. But she made it safe and sound, uh, and um, you know she's doing pretty good with her Japanese lessons. Um, and uh, probably still very confused about where she is, but we're, we're very thrilled to have her with us. And I appreciate you asking about um, about your, your your audience member Twitcher asking about coconuts. And now you got me wondering if Japanese cat food tastes different than American. Cat well, I've got, well, I couldn't tell you, but she likes she seems to like it. So um, that's that's, that's, best, that's as far as I'm willing to go to find out whether it's better or not. Ryan, thank you so much for hanging out with me uh, yet again and spending all this time talking about camouflage and republic and iron man and just kind of a little bit of everything it's it's always really a pleasure to to sit down and and shoot the shit with you man like you're always very forthcoming very uh very transparent and as you said the our audience appreciates that and uh and i certainly appreciate that too so thank you so much for spending time thanks brian yeah also to your colleagues dave and aj please send my regards uh to your community uh i love what you guys do uh you, you you brian you and your colleagues and your and and your audience is a, in my opinion, is a big reason why PlayStation VR two is coming. Uh, it, it PlayStation VR could have just been a, a first like a one time experiment for Sony, and they could have moved on, but they saw enough excitement, um, and interest, and passion, and opportunity uh, to do a second round, and it's so exciting to see what they're announcing, and uh, 
and again, I think you guys are you guys play a big part in it. Because if there wasn't excitement, if there wasn't an audience, there wasn't people asking for it, they wouldn't do it, right? And so, uh, yeah, just I, I can't wait for for all that stuff to start, you know, more information to come out for you guys to start playing content and for the channel to, to continue to grow. Because I have to imagine this is a you know a kind of a, a drier period for for content writers. We're between between cycles, right? It's a little dry, um, but that <laughs> yeah. But but guess what? Coming March tenth. You've got a 10-hour-plus experience called Republic VR that we've you know, worked really hard on uh, with our partners over at Darkwind and Sky, SkyMap. Um, really proud of the game. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. And I appreciate you playing it, uh, Brian, and, and for yeah, your, great, your great feedback on the game. Well, thanks, man. Th and thanks for all the kind words, too. I, I really do appreciate that. And, of course, we can't end this interview without asking you to just give us a big meow and swipe for all the cats out there. <laughs> All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Now, play Republic VR on PlayStation <laughs> VR. I like it. Good plug. <laughs>